Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. So this series that we've been in, who is he to you? Who is he to you? Who is Jesus to you? And when he asked Peter, he said, Peter, who, did, who do people say that I am? Well, some, some people say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're one of the prophets, prophet Elijah. He's, he said, well, that's fine what other people say, but who do you say I am, Peter? And Peter said, thou art the Christ. He said, you're, you're Jesus, you're the Lord. You're the Messiah. You're the one that we've been looking for. And, and it really boils down to who is Jesus to you? We talked about it. I know I pretty much say it every time I preach uh, in this series that we talk about the difference between Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord. When you're saved, Jesus is, is your Savior. Yay, you're not going to hell. You're going to heaven. But it doesn't necessarily mean that he is your Lord. He is the Lord of all creation. He's the Lord whether you make him Lord of your life or not. But is he your Lord personally? You have to make him, allow him to be Lord of your life. And there are many Christians walking around that he is their savior, but not their Lord. He's their fire insurance and he's their way of escape, but he's not their way of life. Mm. All right, I'll say it again because that was Holy Spirit. It wasn't in the notes. But for many people, he is their way of escape, but he's not their way of life. That is good. That's Holy Spirit stuff right there. It wasn't me. But God wants us to allow him to be our way of life. And so I'm going to preach to you a sort of a sermon that, that is about a 30-year-old sermon. I preached this man when I was a young youth pastor. And uh, uh, at Loxley Church of God, and I'm telling you, I, I preached this message, and uh, this message was called Four Kinds of Christians. Brian, you remember it? A few, few people in here. I'm telling you what, I preached this sermon, and I was mercilessly assaulted for this message. People made fun of me. Well, the people that, the only people that made fun of me were the people that were on staff with me. Not my pastor, but my associate friends just ridiculed me for this message. And I'm like, I actually thought it was a pretty good message, you know, especially for a youth pastor. You're just starting out, you're just learning. But ruthlessly, and I mean for years while we were on staff, they just would razz me about, you know, the four kind of Christian message. And I'm like, I don't really get what's wrong with that message. I thought it was a good message until I found out that one of the people was one of those four kinds of Christians. Mm, 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 mm. I'm telling you what, if you ever have somebody giving you hell, if you ever have somebody that's riding you, that is just, that is putting you down, don't, it's not you. 
It's not you. Let, let your spiritual antenna go up and say, God, what's going on here in this chaos? See, I was too young, and I didn't have any teaching on identity. I didn't know who I was in Christ. I let them shame me. You know what I'm saying? And all the time, out of those four kinds of Christians that I'll get into in just a minute, all the time, there was, there was, there was a staff person that was one of those kind. I, I, I'll, I'll tell you which one a little bit later. But this is what, what I want. This is the key to today's message. Lordship is confirmed by my commitment. Lordship is confirmed. Say it with me. Lordship is confirmed by my commitment. Me calling him Lord and him truly being Lord is confirmed. In other words, the authenticity of my lordship, of his lordship over my life, is confirmed in my commitment to him. All right, did I break it down enough for us? All right, so I want you to think about this. Let's go, let's, let's dive into Matthew chapter 25. And I'm gonna start at verse 31. And where we are, Jesus is, is, is talking about the end times, okay? So as he's talking about the end times, verse 31, and I'm reading, I will always most likely be reading from the New Living Translation unless I tell you differently. So verse 31 says, but when the son of man, that's Jesus, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. This is important. All the nations will be gathered into his presence. Now there, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep at his right hand, at his uh, right hand and the goats at his left all right, stop for a second. I believe he's talking about the great white throne judgment. This is Revelation chapter 20. There's two uh, judgments. There's the judgment of the saints. There's where we'll receive crowns and trophies. It's like a big award ceremony. But there's the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20. This is where he's going to do a big separation. And it's going to be heaven or hell, folks. All right? So what we've got here is he's separating them. And in verse 34, it says, and then the king will say to those on his right, those are the sheep, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. He said, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Stop. So he's saying, I want you to come and, and enjoy your inheritance. And he seems to just outright say, your inheritance, what has gotten you your inheritance? Mm, mm, mm. See, heaven is not just a place for you to escape hell. Are you following me? So many believers just live like heaven is just the opposite of not having to go to hell. No, friend, there is an inheritance for us there. There is, there's a life there. We're going to live a life there. We're not just going to be sitting around on fluffy cotton candy clouds playing harps, you know, and, uh, you know, not wearing any underwear, but having, you know, these long dresses, you know. 
That's what I thought. I'm like, I don't think those angels have any underwear on under there. <laughs> too much, huh? Too much. That's not what heaven is like. We are going to have assignments there. We are going to have, a lot of people think that we're just going to sit around and worship uh, around the throne forever. We're, can, I, can I just burst your butt? We're not. There are beings created for that. That's not our job. Oh, we're going to go and we're going to get to do it. Oh, we're going to go and it's going to be joyous. But we're going to have assignments. There's going to be a lot of things that we're going to be able to do. So he says, come, there's an inheritance waiting on you. And he seems to imply that our inheritance is going to be based upon works. Now, I know in the church, we like to not talk about works because you know, listen, you got to get over that, my friend. We, don't, we are not saved by our works. We are saved to do good works. Let your light so shine. In other words, reflect. Let your light so shine before men that men will see your good deeds, your good works, and then it will glorify your Father in heaven. I'll give you an example. Now, I'm, 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 I'm not bragging on me, but I'm using me as an example. This week, I uh, helped somebody out, you know, help a person standing over on the side of the road with a sign. I don't do that very often, and I don't want to get into all that, but I don't help every person. Just like Jesus didn't heal every person, I don't help every person. I'll typically, because I can't, I don't have enough money. But I heard the, well, let me tell you how it went down. I see him over there and I'm like, oh, there's these people, you know, this guy, he's got a little family, got two little kids. I go over there and I'm pumping gas. And for some reason, man, a dollar figure popped in my mind. And I said, Lord, should I give him, you know, this amount? And the Lord said, do you have that amount? And I said, you know, I have that amount. And he said, well, give it to him. And I'm like, okay. I said, well, I don't have any cash. I hardly ever carry cash on me. Um, I got to run over here to the bank, go to the ATM. And as I'm on my way to the ATM, uh, I'm like, well, that's not even going to get him a night at a hotel. So I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll give him twice that amount. So I just go. Now, here's the deal. The the veil, I wish I had my veil up here. The veil that used to be hanging in front of my eyes was, I got to get this money now, but before I give it to you, I don't have to get as much Jesus talk out. I'm going to have to get, hopefully I'm going to get you saved before I leave here. And, you know, I'm going to have to talk a lot about Jesus and so that's the old veil. But see, I don't, I don't know if you got, uh, I don't know if you got delivered from that veil or not, if it's been lifted off of you, but it's, it was lifted off of me a while back, a while back. And so I go over there, find out these jokers don't know a lick of English. Well, they, i tell you how a white boy thinks. I mean, they look Mexican to me. They look Honduran. They look, you know, some kind of Hispanic. All right. And so I'm thinking, I can, I can talk a poquito, you know, man, come on, habla espanol, you know, I can, and man, they don't know a lick of Spanish because they ain't Spanish. 
Come to find out, these jokers are from Romania. But thank you, Jesus. Now, don't ask. I'm telling you, they, I, they did not look European. They did not. They looked Hispanic. Shay and I do a lot of work with Hispanic ministry. And so I, they got their phone out. So Siri, Google and Siri are all talking to each other. They're having a conversation. Hey, buddy, I just wanted to give your family some, uh, some resources, you know, you know, and, and it, it tells him. And like he speaks, you know, all this kind of uh, uh, Romanian into his phone and he s- shows it to me and, uh, and, and I read it. And so our phones are having a good old conversation, you know. And, and, and I just in, in there, this, number one, I was just reflecting the glory of God. Now I had to get God in there somewhere. You know what, let me take that back. I didn't have to, but I wanted to. But I wanted to do it so that he knew, like, hey, man, uh, I would have passed you up any given day of the week, but the Lord spoke to me. And so anyway, I just in there said, God wants you to know that he loves you and that he's going to take care of your family. And when he read that, he, I saw him go. And then he said something in his phone, and it came back, you know, uh, uh, God bless you, all right? So that's really all it was, and we were just exchanging a moment, but we were reflecting the glory of God right there. It was very, very, very beautiful, all right? So anyway, let me, let me dive back to this. So what, what was I doing? Guys, I didn't know Jesus was married, Come on, y'all looking at me and like, hang on a second, preacher. Get a honey, get the kids. Go check them out of kids' church right now. <laughs> I didn't know that Jesus was married. I didn't know he was Romanian, and I didn't know he had two kids. Jesus, come on now. But I'm telling you what, I was I was ministering to the Lord in that moment. You know what I'm saying? And Jesus said, in as much as you've done it to those people, you have done it to me. Masio is Jesus. Seth is Jesus. Y'all don't know who I'm talking about, but they do. Those, those kids that y'all are, are ministering to are Jesus. They're all little faces of Jesus. And in verse 37, Then the righteous, after Jesus said, when you did all these things, he said, you did it to me. He's verse 37. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, the righteous ones, the sheep, us, they they call him Lord because he is their Lord. And they say, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you? When did we ever... See you thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and give you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When when will we ever see you in prison or visit you? The righteous don't even know what they're doing. They're just doing it because it's right. Are you following me? 
They don't, they don't, they're not looking for it as in a, you know, I didn't tell you that story for anybody to go, Pastor Rife, man, God bless you, Pastor Rife. You're, we're, we're so glad you're our preacher. You reflect Jesus so well. I didn't do that. I didn't say that for that. I don't need that. I just said it so that I am saying to you basically, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, Use me as an example because I'm following the example. But like, we don't do it for that. The righteous don't even know what they were doing. They've just been doing it because it's right. And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. But then, verse 41, the king will turn to those on his left and say, away with you. Now, in just a second. We're going to jump over to Matthew chapter 7 because there's a piece of the conversation that's not included here, but it's included in Matthew chapter 7. All right, so it says, Away from me, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for you, uh, for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me drink. I was a stranger and you didn't get, invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And in verse 44, they said, and then they will reply, Lord, stop. The righteous called him Lord. But now these accursed folks, what, what are they calling him? They are calling him Lord too. And he said, when, they said, when did we ever see you in hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he'll answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they'll go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Now drop, jump over to Matthew chapter uh, 7. And I'm, I'm going to read this for you. I'll bring it out in the message later, but I want to read this to you. Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 15. There's a few things here. Verse 15, are you there? Yeah. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. Stop for a second. Beware of false prophets who come veiled, disguised. Remember last week, the veil? Veils are meant to disguise. There are false prophets that are walking around on planet earth right now. I don't understand it, guys, but there are men who fill the pulpits all over the globe that they're false. They are false prophets. And this, the, the Lord says, beware of false prophets. Now, I want you to jump with me down to 20, verse 21 because he's fixing to talk to us about those false prophets. And he says, verse 21, are you there? Yes. Not everyone, say not everyone. Not everyone, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Now, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, and we cast out demons in your name, and we performed many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. 
Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Dude, in that section right there, if you want to just go back and study some of that out, there's so many important, rich things. He says, not everyone. So can I just tell you, heaven is not inclusive. It's not inclusive. Heaven is exclusive. You have to belong to it to go there. Now, salvation is inclusive. Salvation, everyone can come. But that's how you get into the exclusive place called heaven. And Jesus is saying, not everyone who calls me Lord. And they're going to say, now hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I was a pastor for 15 years. I founded 15 churches. And he's going to say, I don't even know who you are. I never knew you. But we prophesied in your name. Whose name? The Lord's name. They prophesied. We even did miracles. Like these weren't fake miracles. These were real live miracles being done by people who Jesus says, I don't know you. This is, I'm telling you, we could, that could be a whole separate message what? Like God can work through false prophets a hundred percent because see, God's not honoring the false prophet. God's honoring his word. He's watching over his word to perform it. So if a false prophet speaks his word, he will perform the word, not for, for the false prophet, because he honors his word, because his son is the Logos, is the incarnate word. So he honors his son, but he also honors the person that the word has been sent forth to, to ac- accomplish its purpose. God will work through a false prophet, not for the false prophet, but for the person. Does that make sense? So anyway, he says, these people are false prophets. They are not going to make it into heaven, even though they, I'm telling you, even though they have huge churches, they have massive followings, they have the, the, the and I'm not saying all these people are bad. Are, are you following me? Because if you are not following me, if you are listening through a veil, you will, you will mishear me. I was talking to my son-in-law. My son-in-law does a lot of work for Kenneth Copeland Ministries. And Kenneth Copeland uh, is, is a, uh, a man of God. I don't agree with everything he does or, or, or maybe says or how he does ministry or whatever. But this is what my son-in-law told me. He said, he said uh, Rife, I've been in, in a room where I'm 15 feet away from him. And he says, he, I'm telling you, he's, a, he's the real deal. He said, how he is in public, that's how he is in private. And he said, not everybody's that way. He said, sometimes you'll get these jokers and they'll, they'll, some of these false prophets, he said, they'll be this way. When they get behind that door, it's a whole different ballgame. He said, I'm telling you, Kenneth Copeland is the real deal. Whether you agree with theology or anything like that, he said, I'm telling you, he's the real deal. So I want you to hear me. Everybody that has a multi-million dollar jet, they're not a false prophet. But, but, but every, every, every poor preacher that's barely making it is not either a true prophet. Are you following me? It's like, it's really, the, it's really a heart issue. 
So you got, you got to be in tune with what you're getting. You got to be in tune with what's coming out. You got, you, the, the scripture tells us over and over, we will know them by the fruit that they bear. You don't know me. If some of y'all are new, you don't know me. But I'm telling you what, if you stick around, if you stick around, you'll find out that we believe that in this house. Like we believe, bear, witness matters. That is one of our core, out of our seven, this, this many, out of our seven core values, witness matters. That's, that's important to us. Do not, do not profess to be a Christian and then go out and live like the devil. Like your witness matters. And so I want you to look at this. There are four kinds of Christians. Now I'm older, I'm wiser, I'm a little bit stronger. Somebody makes fun over me over this message. I'm punching you in the face. <laughs> I'm gonna punch you, I promise you. Now, Jesus really narrows it down to two, sheeps and, sheep and goats. But I, just for fun, I just wanted to pull this out. There's four kinds of Christians. I'll get to them in a second. But before I get there, I wanted to show you this. Now, this is the number of citizens with a biblical worldview. All right, I ain't making this stuff up. This, this is coming straight out of the Gallup poll. This is coming straight out of uh, George Barna and uh, the Family Research Council, and they're not old statistics. This was huge. It was brand new. It just came out. 2022. The number of U.S. citizens with a biblical worldview. Now, what is a biblical worldview? It means that uh, a biblical worldview means that we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe that everything in it is true. We believe that it's the standard of life and holiness for everything, and it's the final authority on everything. It's the final authority on leadership. It's the final authority on abortion. It's the final authority on life, murder, uh, finances, the way that we interact as families, husbands, wives, parents, etc. It's So that's a biblical worldview. Like my worldview is wrapped up in this right here. So the number of U.S. citizens that say that that is how I live, I want you to look at this. 81% profess a belief in God. We don't really know what God. Most of it we believe is Jehovah the God that we all serve, but 81%. Now that's, I'm, I mean, you know, it'd be great to be 100%, but I mean, not e even Israel was, had 100%. But man, that's, that's pretty good when you think about it, 81%. All right, but look at this, 69% profess to be Christians. So out of that other, they, they believe in a higher power, there's a deity, you know, they believe in some sort of God. But when you get down to it, 69% of our nation say that they are Christians. But look at this. Only 51% of those 69 say that they hold a biblical worldview. That we believe the Bible is our standard. We believe that it's true. We believe it is God's word. We believe that it's inspired. We believe all of that. But look at this. Only 6% of our nation say that they actually live a world view. 6% of our nation say that 
He is Lord. Are you following me? 81%, maybe 69% profess salvation. Jesus is Savior. But 6% are actually living that out. But look at this. The U.S. clergy with a biblical worldview. Now, that's the people in my profession, the ones that stand on stages and go around the world preaching the gospel. Look at this. 62% of ministers say that they have a hybrid worldview. A hybrid worldview is not a genuine worldview, biblical worldview. It's a hybrid uh, biblical worldview. So in other words, they take some of the Bible, but you know, there's, there's good in uh, Islam too. So, so, you know, we can, and there's, you know, mother earth is also good. And I mean, come on, there's even some good in X, Y, and Z. So, so it's a hybrid faith. All right. You, you know what God said about Israel mixing the faith, watering the faith down. It's an abomination. So 62% all right, so this, this isn't even mentioning the, 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 the other part that they don't even ascribe to a biblical worldview. They're okay with it. I'm telling you, I have taught in the public school and had uh, Christians, teachers, this particular one was of the Catholic faith, and they, they did not believe that most of the stories in the Bible were accurate. That would be a person that does not have a biblical worldview. They've got a hybrid worldview, biblical worldview. They believe that, oh, those are in there. They're cute. Jesus loved telling these stories. And, uh, you know, all the Old Testament, all, you know, Noah in the ark. No, that's not true. And Jonah in the whale. No, 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 no. But look at this, 37%. 37% hold a biblical worldview. 37% of people who stand on stages in front of our nation. This is not talking about global. This is talking about people in the United States of America. American pastors, 37% is what they found that hold a biblical worldview. Now look at this. It gets a, a little better or worse. Senior pastors, out, out of those 37%, what, what was it, 37%? Out of the 37%, 41 of those are senior pastors. 41% of senior pastors hold a biblical worldview. 28% uh, of, of associate pastors, those reprobates, <laughs> those son of a guns, you know, only hold a 28%. But look, now this gets scary. 12% of children and youth pastors hold a biblical worldview. 12%. Do you, you realize if you work in education, most people's worldview is developed by the time that they're 12 to 13 years of age. So what y'all are doing is amazing with these kids. But most most people, children, human beings, their worldview is developed by the time that they begin to reach their adolescent years, and then it's just shaped and, and kind of tweaked. So it tells you like the most important, and listen, you can get mad at me today, this might be the last time I see some of y'all, but that's fine with me. Not really, but it's, it is if that's where your heart is. 
Why is it then that we sacrifice our children and youth? Why is it that the church, I'm, I'm talking about this church too. I'm talking about this church. I wish, I wish, 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 wish that our church was different. But we're not. But why is it that this church, that we will sacrifice our children and our youth at the altar of convenience, at the altar of I want to hear the pastor in the big church instead of going back and serving, when we are aware, like, man, if you look at our nation, it looks like it's going to hell in a handbasket at the speed of light. Uh, Am I telling the truth? And is it any wonder that maybe the reason that we've had such, such a cataclysmic shift in our nation's youth because of what we see on the screen right there? I'm telling you what. I'm not trying to guilt you into it. I'm not trying to to beg you. I I may get to the point of begging, but I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm not trying to beg you, but it's sad when the church, I mean, we'll sit there, we'll see these statistics and we won't do a dadgum thing. And next week there'll be as few workers in there and as few workers in youth and yada, yada, yada. And it'll go on and on. But I'm telling you what, we are sacrificing while we are sleeping and we're getting fat. Listen, I'm, I'm sorry. If you're overweight, that's your problem. It's not mine. If we, if, 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 if we, we, we are getting fat on Stephen Furtick messages, We are getting fat on, uh, you know, uh, T.D. Jakes and all these amazing, and don't get me wrong, they are amazing preachers. But we are getting fat spiritually and lazy spiritually, and we will listen to these things while we sit there and watch our nation die. God, help us wake the church up. Wake the church up while we are busy doing whatever we want to gluttonously fill our spiritual bellies with. I mean, you can get great preaching, world-class preaching. Any, I mean, we can pull it up and get it right now. I feel like you're getting some of it right now in this minute. But, you know, you, you can pull these great guys who are super polished and they're amazing. You can pull it up right now. But we, we will let our children be sacrificed. Can I tell you what? Satan is not taking a day off. Satan, anything you don't want to evangelize, the devil will evangelize. He's not going to be evangelizing it with light. He'll be evangelizing it with darkness. You following me? And so when we look at this, we look at this and and it's disturbing. And I know, man, I know, I know, I know. Probably some of y'all are like, preacher, pump us up today. You know, I am trying to pump you up. I'm doing what Jesus did. Jesus pointed out the darkness, but he also pointed to light. Although it's dark, 
if we would let the world see Jesus in me, God wants the world to see Jesus in me so I'll be a reflection of his glory. If we would let Jesus, the world just see Jesus in us, I'm telling you what, things would begin to change. Things would begin to change. Look at this. There's four kinds of Christians. The number, uh, number one, there's the closet Christian. These are those Christians that they're ashamed of their faith. And I get it. I used to be ashamed of my faith. Whenever uh, my mama and them took us to church, I wasn't into all that church stuff. They went to, uh, you know, a holy roller Pentecostal church. They were bouncing off the walls, and I thought it was a cult. I didn't know what was going on in, in that place, man. It was like wild and weird and crazy. And, but somewhere in the middle of all of that chaos, God showed up. And I began to see the power of God in, in, in the place. And I remember I was a closet Christian. I became a Christian, but I didn't want any of my friends at school to know that I was a Christian. I didn't talk about Jesus. I didn't look like Jesus. I actually, actually looked uh, unlike Jesus. But on Sunday, I'd get like Jesus. Does that make sense? And in worship, I didn't worship extravagantly. I didn't want anybody to see my hands go in the air. Why? Because I was a closet Christian. I was ashamed of it. I was embarrassed as, for, for people to see me worship. But Luke, once I got more and more uh, uh, educated in the word and learned more about him, Luke nine twenty six. this is Jesus talking. Jesus says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message the son of man, that's Jesus. He will be ashamed of that person. There's, there, there are a lot of people, and some of y'all might be watching today, but there's a lot of people in the church, in the kingdom, that, that they uh, think that Jesus uh, is, 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 Jesus never said a mean thing. He didn't say a mean thing. It sounded maybe mean to some folks, but it was the truth. It was the truth in love. Sometimes you speak the truth. It may not sound like, the, uh, like, like it's loving, but when you speak the truth in love, everything I've said to you today has truly been in a spirit of love. Jesus said some very harsh things. Hardly ever did he go somewhere that he did not offend somebody. And hardly ever was he around Nazareth, the city of Jerusalem, in those areas where somebody was not plotting to kill him. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is the power unto salvation for those who believe. That's where our power comes from. So there's these closet Christians if you're one of those, I just want to encourage you. Like everybody in this room may have been a closet Christian at some time, but you got to come out of the closet. And I'm not trying to make a joke there. You really do. You have to come out of that ashamedness. You have to come out of that, that, that place where, where you're, you're shy. I've, I've had some guys and I'm like, man, I, sometimes I get so tired of guys. Y'all just get on my nerves. I mean, I am one of them, I think, but you know, Y'all get on my nerves sometimes because it's like, you know, well, I, I just ain't that emotional. That's just the biggest bunch of bull malarkey. You are, you are emotional. You are passionate about the things that are your Lord. The ball teams, the sports, the, uh, the, the outdoor stuff, all, all, of, all of that stuff. You can get super excited. And I mean, I, I, get, I get irritated now. I, I'm, 
You might, you got off blood pressure medication. You might need to give me one of them pills, you know, because I'm fixing to get my pressure up now. But I get irritated when, when, when a guy will stay up all night long getting this tackle box together and, you know, weaving like, you know, little old granny weaving a quilt or something, the knitting a scarf, all of these little jigs and stuff and get it all ready all night long. But he will not put that kind of time into spiritual things. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. We got to step it up. We got to take it to another level. So there's also closet Christians, but there's cultural Christians. These are situational folks. These are the politically correct folks. I've dealt with them in this church. Some of them have gone and left and went on to other places because I was not politically correct enough for them. But these are the people that, you know, like, now, Pastor Rife, we don't want to talk about abortion because there's people in the church that's had a, an abortion. Listen, if you're sitting here in this church today and you've had an abortion, I'm so sorry that you went through that. I, I, I truly am. And, and it, you know, I'm sure that, like, you are at some degree of healing, at some degree. I hope you are. And there is now, therefore, no condemnation for anyone in this church. That, but I'm telling you, abortion is still wrong. What you did back then was wrong. You're forgiven of that? Are you hearing me? This is truth in love, my friend. There's no condemnation. You are not to be ridiculed. As a matter of fact, take that and use it. What enemy meant for evil and use it for good. But, you know, this cultural mess that we're in. Listen, in this church, I'm not trying to be mean, but there's, there's two sexes. There's just two. There's a man and a woman. There's two sexes. And there's one, one kind of marriage. And it's not between a man and a turtle. It's not between a, a, a woman and a dog. It's not between a woman and a woman or a man and a man. It's between a man and a woman. The end. The end. There's, there's, there's two genders, and I get it. I get it that woke people have redefined the word gender, but the original meaning and understanding of gender means male and female. There's two of those. There's just two. There's not 89 or 362 or however many there are uh, that they've come up with. There's two. And, and, and it doesn't matter what the world believes, this church, our biblical worldview determines that. You know what I'm saying? And we don't get to, it, it, it's not that we don't love people who are experiencing those kind of issues in their life. We love you, but we are not cultural Christians. We're genuine, all right? And then these last two, these are the ones that Jesus really was talking about, the sheeps and the goat, all right? There's counterfeit Christians, there are counterfeit Christians. These are not just false apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, but these are just everyday folks that are sitting in churches all over the place. They are counterfeit Christians. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But there are people that truly come to church and they have no desire to live a kingdom life. They have no desire. They, they are there to infect the church, to breed discord and dissension and to tear it up. If you've never been a part of one of those churches, I'm telling you what, I'm telling you what. They, we've had that kind of stuff to maybe happen here, but you ain't going to be here long, my friend. I'll show you the door very quick. 
uh-oh, I, <laughs> all, the, all the new folks are like, oh my God, what kind of church did we come into? We are an apostolic church. I'm the apostle here. I'm also the pastor. I operate in the prophetic. And, you know, I'm a, uh, a pastor and a teacher. But I, I'm telling you, we are not going to put up with that. Why? Because one of our seven values, like I was talking about witness matters, unity is essential for God's anointing. God ain't going to work in no church that's backbiting, bitter, and fighting one another. God ain't got time for that. The devil loves it. The devil will come put an anointing on that mess in a heartbeat. You know what I'm saying? But we're not going to have that. And there are, there are Christians in name only. And that's why I put four kind of Christians. Because there are people who call themselves Christians. And I'm telling you what. They are, have, have been sent by the enemy into churches. Well, Pastor Rife, where is the biblical basis of that? Just go read Jude. Just, just read the whole book of Jude. And Jude says... While we were busy doing the work of the ministry, unaware to, uh, to us, secretly, these imposters crept into our church. Not only did they creep into our church, but they got into leadership in the church. Now, they are leaders in the church, and they are counterfeit. They are preaching an entirely different gospel. That's what Jude says. That's New Testament. Counterfeit Christians. I'm telling you what. You can have the biggest church in town, and I'm not saying all big churches are bad. You can have the smallest church in town too and the most dynamic preacher. But if you are a false apostle, if you're a false prophet, if you're a false evangelist, pastor, teacher, if you're a false parishioner, I'm telling you what, there will come a day, there will come a reckoning where God is going to separate us. And the sheep will be on one side, the goats will be on the other, and that's really these two. And the last one is this, committed Christians. Remember, all the way back I said, my lordship of him. Lordship, it's confirmed by my commitment to him. I'm telling you what, Lord, people who serve the Lord, people who are in relationship with the Lord, it's a relationship, ship. Lordship, that means it's a relationship with the Lord. People who are in a relationship with the Lord, they are committed. You, ain't, you don't have, listen, 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 listen. You don't have to beg people to come to church who Jesus is their Lord. You, you do not have to beg people to give, to bring their offering and, and bring a tithe to the Lord. You don't have to beg people who Jesus is their Lord. Why? Because he's Lord over every part of my life. He's over every part. Look at these. Discipleship. Listen, people, I, I was talking about this just a, a, a week ago in light of, well, I, it was at our men's mentoring group. In light of people that I have known for 30 years, you might be in this room, you might be watching, you might not even hear this. But people that I've known over a course of 30 years have heard some of the most powerful and prolific sermons. I've sat and preached some of them. I've sat with them and we both heard them. And zero transformation. Zero transformation. They're saved. 
I believe they're going to heaven. I'm not sure they will have any trophies and crowns. Does that make sense? I'm not sure what their inheritance looks like. Remember all the way back in Matthew 25? He said, enter into your inheritance. I'm not sure they're going to have an inheritance. I mean, it's not really up to me. I'm just saying. Like when you are a a child of God whom he's your Lord, you are going to want to live by and live in the word of God. Can I just tell you, and man, I know this gets like, ooh, Pastor Rife, man, you're tearing us up today. If you're not in the word of God, you need to check your lordship. If you're not in the word of God, Pastor Rife, man, it's just hard. I don't understand it. That's a bunch of bull. That's a bunch of bull. If you go to BibleGateway.com, I think, I mean, there's 30 translations. It's all of those high-end versions that's really studious. It's, then it's the contemporary English version. Contemporary English, that's all of y'all, version. The English standard version, that's basic. Then it's got the new international read, reader's version. That's at a sixth grade level. That's almost everybody in here. Might miss a couple of y'all, I'm just saying. <laughs> but do you understand what I'm saying? No, those are excuses. When we are committed and he is our Lord, we're going to be in the word and we're going to live by the word. We're, we're going to see transformation happen. When I was in Atlanta, our pastor used to love to say this. Guys, we, after you hear this message, this is what he would say in, in his messages. He would say, after you hear this message, you cannot be in the same place you are this week that you were last, uh, uh, next week that you are this week. And you can't be in the same place in a month from now that you are right now. You can't be in the same place in six months from now than you are right now. And you can't be in the same place a year from now than you are right now because Christians are made to grow. And we're made to move forward and we're made to develop. So committed Christians are people that give their lives over to discipleship, but they're also worshipers. People, when, when people say, well, I'm just not extravagant in my worship. Well, I'm sorry. You need to get more extravagant. Now, am I, am I saying, we don't have any flags out today, but am I saying that you got to get up and you got to, woo, you know, you got to be twirling the flags? I'm not saying that. I'm, what I am saying is I used to be at a place in my life where I was a closet Christian and afraid to get my hands out of my pocket, you know, because I'm looking, I'm looking cool. I don't want my girlfriend to see me, you know. I don't want my girlfriend to see me raising my hands and praising the Lord. But when I begin to be discipled, after I made him Lord of my life, I begin to be discipled. Then I begin to learn about worship. And it says that God loves it when People stand in the holy place, lifting up holy hands. That people love it when, they, when, when we sing to him. Just, just make a racket, because some of y'all can't sing a lick. He, 
It doesn't matter. Make a joyful noise. Just sing out to the Lord. Does that make sense? It's like when you start learning what the, the, the Lord loves it when we kneel before him. It's a sign of, of, of homage and honor to the King of kings, Lord of lords, to his majesty. You know, there are times where I'll go down to my knees. There's times where I've just laid out in, in, in front of the Lord. No, normally I do those in my private times, but you've seen me do it in here because I don't care what people think anymore. I mean, the enemy gets in the back of my head sometimes and starts trying to mess with me, but, but I've grown mature enough to know that I'll just ignore you because I'm going to move in this direction. When he is Lord, I am committed to worship. Not only am I committed to worship, but I'm committed to stewardship. Don't get me wrong. I come from a poor family. I grew up with a poverty mindset. I didn't know what a poverty mindset was until I started getting discipled because I made him Lord of my life. Now I'm being discipled. I'm growing in my worship. And guess what? I found out that I, I had partnered in my life with two spirits, a poverty spirit and an orphan spirit. Those two spirits were dynamically assigned to me, demonically and dynamically assigned to me uh, to come against the anointing on my life. And so I dealt with those, but praise God, I, I cast those off and those, those mindsets will keep you from wanting to give, to serve. You know, when he's Lord of your life, money truly means nothing but uh, a means to expand the kingdom. That's really all it means. And then the last thing is this. And of course, when I'm talking about stewardship, I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about anything you have. He said, when I, when I was homeless, you took me into your home. I'm telling you what, if you're stingy with your house, if you're stingy with your car, if you're stingy with your stuff, God ain't gonna bless that. And sometimes people's biggest uh, uh, dam to be blessed is our own selves, is our own selfishness. Part of the will of God where it says in there, the ones who will inherit eternal life are the ones who will do the will of God. Part of the will of God, if you go through and you just, this would be a great assignment for y'all if you wanted to. If you go through and you research all the scriptures that talk about the will of God, I'm just talking about New Testament scriptures. One of them is that we not be selfish but we look at other people's desires. What does that sound like? Love God, love people, okay? And then the last one is fellowship. Fellowship, Stephen, would you come? Um, I'm telling you what, we are in a time right now where COVID um, has, the, the enemy used COVID in a lot of demonic ways. One of the demonic ways that the enemy used that was uh, to put the mindset in people, good church people. You see these, uh, these uh, chairs here? Good people used to sit in those pews or those chairs. Good people. They're, they're still good people. They just don't, they don't think that you have to come and be a part of a local church fellowship. I've had them tell me to my face. We just don't feel like that we need to be, you know, at church. We just, you know, we, this, is, this is a different time. It's a different season for us. Oh, my friend, while you are taking a, 
sabbatical from your church family, the enemy is definitely not taking a sabbatical. You can guarantee he's, he's using every opportunity. The scripture itself says, brothers and sisters, don't forget it is imperative. I'm paraphrasing. It says, let us not forsake the gathering together of the assembly of the saints. It's, it's saying, don't let us, don't let us. This is valuable, folks. What's happening in this room is valuable. But not just what happens in this room. What happens outside of this room? That we fall in love with each other. That we fall, you understand what I'm saying? We fall in love with each other. When you and I are in love with each other, there's nothing I wouldn't do for you. Are you following me? It's vital. We, I need you and you need me. And y'all need each other. It's vital. And I'm telling you what, they're, they're, mm. there's a lot of Christian parents that you are contributing to the next generation of churchlessness. I'm telling you what, if you do not teach your kids the importance of this gathering, if you do not teach your kids the importance of coming together as a church family, I, as, your small group's great, I get it. Oh, my home church, we're doing a home church. Well, that's wonderful too, that's wonderful too. And if that's what you call your church, wonderful, great. But whatever it looks like, you've got to have a community of saints around you. A committed Christian. One who says Jesus is Lord is going to look forward to this gathering. I'm telling you what, I've been preaching for now uh, going on 30 plus years. I've pastored this ch uh, church for 15-ish, 15 and a half, however many. I'm telling you, if I was not the pastor next Sunday, I'm going to want to be with saints. I'm going to want to be in a place. I, 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 don't, I don't just get to, it's not a job. It's not like I just retired from the factory and I just don't go back anymore. I got delivered from it. No, because this is the fellowship of the saints. Because the word says that we're supposed to not just hear the word, but now, now the word's been delivered to you and God is going to hold you accountable. Are you following me? God's going to hold you accountable for what you do with it. And this is what you can do. Which one of those areas that we talked about is an area that I need to grow in? Worship, discipleship, stewardship, fellowship. And then do this. Because you know, listen, you don't even need the Holy Ghost to tell you. You know. You know. And do this. Just determine one thing that you're going to do to grow in that area. Hear me. The Lord doesn't want you to do anything out of fear or compulsion or guilt. That doesn't last. Guilt doesn't last. It goes away, believe me. God wants you to truly survey your heart, survey your life, and just one thing, in whatever area, and take a step in doing.